What's up, everybody? You've stumbled upon Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and if all goes well, I'm releasing this episode a day early in anticipation of everyone going to see Avengers Endgame tonight, which I definitely will be. If I fail and it's already come out, no spoilers, everyone. So, you guessed it. We are continuing with our Marvel Cinematic Universe episodes with an episode about the heart of the MCU itself thus far, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, with Misha Stanton, audio sorcerer. We recorded this a few months ago, but when I saw that we'd be releasing an episode around the time Endgame came out, I wanted to hold on to this episode until now, which has been really hard because I love it so much. Misha is just brilliant, and they bring some really thoughtful and insightful perspectives to Tony Stark, Iron Man, the MCU, the comics, how it's been, and how it may go forward. It feels like a great conversation to have as this phase of the MCU comes to a close, so I hope you enjoy. I also just wanted to give a disclaimer that, along with spoilers for everything up through Infinity War, we recorded this before Captain Marvel came out, and some other things about the future of the MCU have been revealed, so there are some things that we don't talk about that seem like they should be relevant, or we didn't know them then, but we know now, but I think everything remains important. Also, since Misha worked on the AM Archives, which is a new podcast from Lauren Shippen in the Bright Sessions universe, and it was released just two days ago, it would be highly remiss of me not to tell you to go listen to that on Luminary, a new podcast platform. You may even hear me make a cameo in the series. I also make cameos on other shows of Misha's from The Whisper Forge, like Ars Paradoxica and Star Tripper, which you should also go listen to, as well as The Far Meridian and Caravan, which we talk about in this episode. Caravan just returned from hiatus, and it is so good. Oh my god, you guys, please go listen to Caravan right now. Seriously, Misha works on some of the best audio drama out there and is truly a sorcerer, so if you haven't listened to any of their shows, go subscribe immediately. Speaking of superstar podcasters, I also wanted to give a big thank you to Julia Shafini of Spirits, Tides, and countless other podcasts who is helping me out with editing and who edited this episode. Julia is absolutely stupendous and talented, which are qualities that she shares with all of our patrons. Thank you to all of our patrons, including our producers, Emma Cohen and Rena Sarame, who are more inventive than Tony is, and our advanced producer, Mara Zobrist, who is a much greater philanthropist. If you'd like to support us, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. We're changing up our rewards starting next month, so definitely come see what we're up to. Last but not least, thank you to ZipRecruiter for sponsoring this episode of Pairing. I'll tell you more about it later on, but if you are a business owner, employer, or creative who needs to hire talent, you can sign up and post your first job for free at ziprecruiter.com slash pairing. And now... Without further ado, here is episode 36, Iron Man with Misha Stanton. So I am so excited to welcome to pairing Audio Sorcerer, I believe is their official title, (laughs) Misha Stanton of too many podcasts to name, but namely of 
Ars Paradoxica, The Bright Sessions, and so, so many others. Misha, welcome. Thank you. Yes, I do sign all of my emails with audio sources. <laughs> Which I absolutely adore. <laughs> but only the work emails. Yes, just the work emails. Uh, I hope it says that on your business card as well. It does. Okay, great. <laughs> well, I am doubly excited because not only is Misha here, but we are going to be diving back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with one of my favorite superhero characters, or one that I think is one of the most interesting superhero characters, Iron Man slash Tony Stark. Yes. Yeah. So, Misha, why don't you... I have, you know, I've got some questions. I've got some thoughts. I've got lots of thoughts. I know you have lots of thoughts. But would you like to, I tell you what, let's start off by talking about the wine that we're drinking. Yeah. So I actually, like, only really started drinking wine, like, a few months ago. So I don't Welcome. know anything about it, but it's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> That's awesome. I am, I am so proud and so happy. And I feel like I have Aaron to thank for getting you <laughs> <Probably>. into wine. <laughs> uh, I feel like I have... Erin uh, to thank only because she was like, oh, uh, Emma's podcast is really great. Maybe we should start drinking wine. Oh, well, that's so sweet. Ugh. Well, I love to be uh, an enabler in whatever way I can. <laughs> <laughs> so, Misha, what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, a 2016 uh, Cabernet Sauvignon called Born of Fire. <gasps> I know that one. Oh, do you? It's yeah. really good. It yeah, has it's this really beautiful good. Beautiful painting of a phoenix on the front of it. It's yeah. Really cool. Yeah, I think we did get it into the store that I used to work at. I re- I definitely remember tasting it, and I think that we did end up getting it in. And that one is it's also from Washington, right? I believe so. I think I'm... so. I think it is. I could be Yeah, it says Columbia Valley. That's yeah, Washington. Right? Yeah, so that's Washington. So that works perfectly because I am drinking a Washington Syrah, also 2016. And it is called the Boom Boom Syrah. And I couldn't help myself because, you know, we obviously start off Iron Man's story with a big explosion. Yeah, boom boom shooty explosion wine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this is also one of my favorite wines from one of my favorite winemakers. His name is Charles Smith. He looks kind of like a rock star biker dude. And yeah, he's pretty great. And he makes all sorts of ranges of wines and he's really unpretentious, which I really like. And so you can get really great wines from him for less than 20 bucks a bottle, which I love. So there we go. And I'll talk more later a little bit about why I chose Syrah because I have some thoughts about that. But we're not going to go too heavy on that for right now. So right, you tro- you told me to find a Syrah, and my uh, corner wine store didn't have one, so I picked this instead. I'm very impressed though that they had the Born of Fire because that one is very tasty, and so it's they they have some nice ones there. It's they have great. Like, some decent ones, but it, and it's a limited like wine range. There's like uh-huh. cabs and merlots and pinot noirs, and like that's what you get. Sure, sure, it's probably mostly like California or West Coast wines. Yeah. But still, that's great if your corner store has some good options. That is awesome. That's living Ellie life, baby. Yeah. It's not like that in Santa Fe. <laughs> you have to drive everywhere in Santa Fe, which normally you do in L.A. too, I guess. But Yeah. So the reason why I suggested a Syrah or a cab, too, is great because, I don't know, there's something about Syrah to me. And I've talked a lot about on the podcast how I have mixed feelings about Syrah. Hmm. Because the reason why, so I have this tumultuous relationship with Syrah. And the reason why is because Syrah from France 
tends to have this really strong black olive note to it. And I don't like black olives. Mm. So even though those are considered some of the best wines in the world, I don't really like them because they're really overbearing to me. And Syrah in general can be like really heavy on black pepper or really fruity. And so sometimes I feel like it's just kind of overdone. And so I wrote down in my notes, it's uh, it's a grape that likes to overcompensate. But... <laughs> so perfect for Tony Stark. <laughs> so perfect for Tony Stark. And this one, though, I, I have also said I love Washington State Syrahs. They're, those are some of my favorites because they're a little more toned down. They still have like a little black pepper, a little dark fruit to them, but they're not fruit bombs or they don't taste just like you're drinking like black olive juice. Gotcha. I'm The only wine I really knew growing up was Manischewitz because I'm Jewish. Me too. That is just the biggest fruit bomb in the world. So I doubt anything could be more yes. of a fruit bomb than no, that. No, no. Manischewitz is in a class of its own, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. No, the first time I ever got drunk was on Manischewitz at Passover, like a real Jew. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. But anyway, so I'm curious to hear what some of your thoughts are about Tony Stark and Iron Man and their role in the MCU. Sure. I have a positive thought and a negative thought. Perfect. So let's start with the positive that I think that Iron Man was a really great way to start off the MCU and he's Mm -hmm. a really good character to follow through the MCU Mm -hmm. because the way they've written his arc in every movie and he's in Iron Man 1, 2, 3, Avengers 1, 2, 3... Civil War, and Spider-Man Homecoming. So that's eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't count the cameo in Incredible Hulk, which nobody counts in Incredible Yeah, Hulk. no. And then it will be nine, right? With Endgame? Right, when Endgame comes right. out. Okay. But that's the most of any character in the MCU thus far. I don't know if it is at this point. I, th- um, I think it, it, it is. Might be, I, think it, I think it might be surpassed soon, if that's the case, because as he is written in less and less and other yeah. franchises take off. Yeah. But in, in each of those eight movies... His arc is, without fail, one of a man traveling from selfishness to selflessness. Mm -hmm. I think in Iron Man 1, he's, I mean, he's the billionaire playboy and he's selling arms to whoever will buy them. And then, you know, he takes it upon himself to sort of sacrifice his his business standing and, and sort of what people would consider good business sense to to rectify some horrible tragedies. Right. Iron Man 2 is, you know, he the thing he's put into his body makes him sick, but he doesn't tell anyone. He sort of keeps it to himself. He wants everyone to sort of see him as the, you know, the the we the wheel and deal and superhero that like flipped off the Senate subcommittee. Right. And then as the movie goes on, it it becomes, you know, he relies on the memory of his dad and he relies on Rhodey and mm-hmm. he he sort of learns to to that maybe he doesn't always have the best ideas and he he should look elsewhere. And in Iron Man three, it's definitely one of like, you know, I have this trauma about what happened in the Avengers and I need to build these suits to protect myself. And then over the course of the movie, he realizes that like, oh, I've cl- I've closed myself into a shell and pushed away the woman who loves me. So maybe I should get rid of these suits. Right. And so it's always and like the Avengers have some more subtle arcs. I want to talk later about how that works in Spider-Man. Yeah. But like it, it always does sort of follow this arc from like inward Tony and sort of doing what's best for him to what's doing what's best for others. Right. Or incorporating others or including others. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with everything you said. And I, I would just add to that that what makes 
Tony Stark so interesting a superhero character to me is that he kind of becomes a superhero despite himself. And what's cool about Iron Man, the first Iron Man, is that, you know, this terrible thing happened to him. And he's kind of a jerk before. He's, you know, a billionaire genius playboy. He's not yet a philanthropist. But <laughs> a genius billionaire playboy warmonger? Yeah, oh, we'll yeah, something like that. And then, you know, to his credit, I think what's cool about what we see with Tony is we continually see him making mistakes and then trying to fix them, or if not fix them, then try to make himself better and try to make the world better. Right. Well, well, that's what's cool about Iron Man 3, right? Yeah. Is, it, is he thinks making himself better is the answer and he finds out it's not. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which I also, I have thoughts about Iron Man 3 because I just rewatched it the other night, possibly for only the second time. I Oh. Yeah. Maybe third. But I hadn't seen it Iron in a Man long 3 time. colon kiss kiss bang bang kiss. Yes, exactly. And I was like, oh my God, yes, this is such a, a Shane Black movie. And I've got feelings about that because it feels kind of weird coming after Avengers that he kind of backtracks in some ways, hmm. I feel like. Back like reverts back to the I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm Well, I mean th- that's valid. Um I, I mean I think that that like his narcissism is the the primary like yeah. trait that that he's trying to fix throughout the movies. Right. And um uh, I make this podcast called The Far Meridian where Which is awesome, and we, you should listen to it. Subscribe right now. Thank you very much. But yeah. <laughs> we do spend a lot of time talking about mental health and the progress of right, mental health. Right. And season two especially, which has been airing since uh, late August mm-hmm. last year, um, has has really been about, like, yeah, and progress isn't a straight line. And sometimes yeah. you'll backslide, and sometimes you'll regress, and that's okay. Which is why I find him probably the most interesting character in the MCU, of, yeah. of the main Avengers, if not necessarily, quote unquote, the best or, quote unquote, my favorite. But I no, think... No, well, let's let's throw this out there. Thor is clearly the well, best. Well, obviously. No, Winston and I have talked about this so much. Like, every time we watch an Avengers movie, we're like, it just, he's, he's a god. Like, you can't, you can't yeah, what are you gonna beat do? that. <laughs> you just can't beat that. And they do a good job, like, trying to raise the other Avengers up as well. But it's just it's just no competition. Nah. No, Thor Ragnarok is maybe my favorite movie in the MCU. The more I watch it, the more I like it. Yeah. It, it doesn't... I can rewatch it all the time and never get so... But that, yeah. Tony Stark's not in that one. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Which, which is a funny thing. Like, you know, I think as a franchise, I think the Captain America movies are the strongest as a franchise. Hmm. That's... That's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't I mean, there's things... To, I mean, Winter Soldier is, I think... Yes. W- Maybe the best. Absolutely. But... Winter Soldier, top tier. But as as far as a coherent franchise in and of itself with Cap's movies, I don't yeah. know. I mean, Iron Man's movies, I think, are slightly more of a consistent arc. I think... I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are like yeah, one and those two are the... so easily. Yeah, those are, those are really, really solid. Um, and I, I'm and excited for Spider-Man Far From Home. Because I think they're yes, doing a me similar too. thing. Which, okay, so here's so here's a question. Okay. I loved, I know you mentioned you wanted to talk about this. Yeah. I loved Spider-Man Homecoming, and yeah. I loved watching Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. play against each other. Yeah. And I am very nervous for what happens after Endgame because, I, I mean, I have heard that Robert Downey Jr. 
doesn't want to play Tony Stark anymore. Yeah. Now, whether that means he's totally going to quit or, you know, I I don't think they're going to kill him. I think they're going to find a way to just kind of like phase him out of the movies as much. Yeah, I don't think I don't necessarily think that they're going to kill Tony. I do think they're going to kill Steve. I agree. Lauren Shippen and I have cried about it. And yeah, me too. <laughs> you can join us for our post end game sob fest. Yeah, it, it might be a thing where like because Steve is dead. Tony loses the spark and is like willing to form yeah. the Avengers, but it doesn't want to participate anymore. I don't know. We'll right. See. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I was just going to say, I am kind of sad because I feel like we're not going to get much of him, if any of him, in Far From Home. No, he's not in Far From Home. They replaced him with Nick Fury. Yeah, with Nick Fury. And Happy is there, which is always fun. Right. But... They can get John Favreau whenever they want. He, he's right. A, yeah. He's a producer <laughs> in the MCU. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's not doing anything in his spare time. Um, Except directing, like, The Lion King. Is he really? Yeah, he's the director of The Lion King. Oh, no way! I didn't know that. He also... What was he in? Oh, he he was a voice of a character in Solo, I think. Oh, okay. I didn't see Solo. But, like, Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, they have him. They they have him now. Yeah, he's there. He's there. He's not going anywhere. The other thing I just wanted to mention is that I just want to say that I think that Robert Downey Jr.'s performance of Tony Stark is incredible and he is wonderful as that character and I'm not sure that the franchise would have been as successful if Iron Man hadn't been as successful which I think was in great part due to Robert Downey Jr. Absolutely well I mean also like the fact that he improvised most of the first movie yeah <laughs> like like the script didn't exist for the for the first Iron Man, so he improved most of the scenes. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. I knew he improved a little bit, but oh yeah, no, it was basically the whole movie except for like the final fight sequence. Huh? Wow, that's very impressive. And then also that John Favreau really had to fight to put Robert Downey Jr. in the movie. Well, yeah, because that was really his kind of comeback film, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, he like when Iron Man was in production. He was still on the tail end of, like, all of the behavior that had gotten him famous in the 80s and 90s, which was, like, right. partying and drug use. Right. Um, yeah. And the the studio was, like, really hesitant to put, to, to make their, not just their star vehicle for Iron Man, but their star vehicle for what has now become 22 movies. Yeah. To have it be someone whose profile was that. And John Favreau really had to fight for him. And then it turned out he ended up being so intrinsic to this entire franchise. I didn't realize that. Oh, my God. Yes. Like, without without RDJ, I don't know if it would be anywhere near yeah. as successful and wonderful as it is. And also, one thing that Winston told me was that, you know, I forget which, which movie we were watching, but he was doing either some some sort of martial arts. And apparently martial arts was very, very important to mm. Robert Downey Jr. in his recovery. So that's cool. So in, in, in a sort of way, Iron Man helped him recover and not just bring him into the forefront. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. So you love a good redemption arc, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, well, I mean, if you want to keep talking about Spider-Man Homecoming and specifically yeah. Tony Stark and Homecoming. Yes. Let's talk about it. It's funny because, like, at first you don't ever think, like, why why put Iron Man in a Spider-Man movie? That I don't understand. Right. And then he plays this lovely, perfect little mentor role that, that sort of, yeah, is there to tie Spider-Man back to the MCU. And yeah, is there to, like, kind of introduce the tech and, like, explain why Spider-Man's so rad, even though 
he's like at home. Um, I right. know that Spider-Man Homecoming was trying to do a lot of things that previous, because there had been five Spider-Man movies before that that were yep. very successful. Yep. Um, they tried really hard to not do things that the previous movies had done. So introducing Tony Stark is like an obvious element of like, oh, well, you, he's never had a mentor. He's usually on his own. So he's never had someone he can be, look up to and be trying to impress. And it's also really fun watching Tony navigate this semi-father role or he like yeah. wants to adopt that role. Well, right. And that's that goes back to what I was saying about um, selfishness to selflessness. Is that right. in the beginning, you know, the first scene that he's in in the movie is like, hey, how's, hey, May, how you doing? I bet you're looking cute because he's writing right. and he, he's just like <laughs> thinking about, hey, maybe I can get with Aunt May because I'm Tony Stark and I can do whatever I want. Right, right. And then he, you know, he he goes through and he really shuts Peter down because he doesn't want to be responsible for a kid's death. And he doesn't yeah. want that on his conscience. But then not not even so much by the end of the movie, so really as like when they meet up again in Endgame. Right. That That he sort of goes like... And even not till towards the end of Endgame, you know, in the beginning of Endgame, he, he's sort of admonishing him for, like, you shouldn't have done this, be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, don't go on the alien spaceship. Right. And then by the time they get to Titan, is relying on him to make the plan work. Um, yeah. And, and so he's, you know, he's given up what would potentially be his personal trauma. You know, he's only thinking about how it's going to affect him and how he can't live with it and whatever to, like, doing what's best for the team and for the universe. Right. Yeah, no, it is it is a really really beautiful, really sweet relationship and I mean, there will be a spoiler warning for this one, but you know, Good. if you haven't seen Infinity War yet, uh, you you wouldn't be listening to this episode anyway, I don't think. But the moment of Peter Parker in Infinity War of I don't want to oh, yeah. go. Uh, uh, can, can I say a blanket apology? I was saying Endgame when I meant Infinity War. My bad. Oh, did you? I didn't even notice. Yeah, Whoops. I know. I I knew you meant Infinity War, but there we go. We've got Endgame on the brain because it's it's coming up soon. Oh, it's a coming. Oh, it's a coming. But yeah, I I I love their relationship, and so and I feel like it's just sort of starting, and so it makes me sad that it's probably not gonna continue. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in Endgame? Yeah, I I I agree with you. I I mean, I I will miss Tony Stark in Spider Man because there was a good interaction yeah. between the two of them. I am excited. For the fact that they switched him out with another MCU heavy? Yes. Because if he puts Tony Stark into Spider-Man 2, then you're getting really close to like, oh, Spider-Man is Iron Man's sidekick. Right. Who like right. gets to patrol New York when Iron Man is in India, you know? Like Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is God, one of the best characters ever made in human history. Who does not love Spider-Man? If you don't love Spider-Man, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I may be biased <laughs> because I did just basically 100% complete the Spider-Man 2018 PS4 game, which is incredible. Yeah, so as we were talking about with Mike Schubert, a.k.a. Shubes. In My good our, buddy Shubes. Yes, our good buddy Shubes, our friendly neighborhood Shubes. Um <laughs> He was saying we recorded that episode right before the the Spider-Man game was coming out. And so now you have played most of it, you said? I at have this played point? Uh, all of the story and now I'm just sort of cleaning up the final things so I can 100% complete it. Ugh. And it is incredible. I have heard it's amazing. I'm not even like a video game person and I yeah, loved and it. <laughs> neither am I. And I think I'm going to have to like really 
one of my one of my New Year's resolutions is you know to to start playing video games, and so I think I think I gotta I gotta get the the Spider Man game. Remind me after this, uh, I'll give you some recommendations for a slate of new video games for people who aren't really into video games. Awesome, that would be terrific. Got you. Thank you. Misha, they're there for all of us. <laughs> I try. Tony Stark. Does Tony Stark play video games while he drinks wine? That's the question. I, I definitely think he does. This is another thing that I was thinking of. Another good wine to drink for Tony. I feel like he's the kind of guy who would be drinking champagne, like some of the most expensive champagne, while he like you know, just got a ordered a Domino's pizza. Absolutely, isn't that doesn't that literally happen in Iron Man it, 2? It very well might happen. I don't, I don't remember, but he, you know, he's he's that kind of you know narcissistic, but not pretentious. Yeah. I would say, like, I don't think he's pretentious because this made me think of this is actually a fun little connection. But when I was working in this high end wine store in Boulder, Colorado, we had a lot of very quote unquote high spending high-end customers who were very, you know, Tony Stark-esque. Obviously not to that extent. Right, but like as close as you can get in real life America, which is honestly pretty close. In fact, one of my frequent customers who, she was lovely, but she was the assistant to Elon Musk's brother. So, so yeah. So she would come in and I was in charge of special orders for a long time. So she would just like come talk to me about, you know, everything. I forget. Elon's brother's name. I'll I'll double check no, that. You know but... what? If you're related to Elon Musk <laughs> and you don't shout at him from the rooftops every single day to stop doing what he's doing, yeah. you don't get a name. You're Elon Musk's brother. That's true. He's just the brother. Yep. And and again, you know, she was the sweetest person possible. You know, who knows? Maybe the brother was very nice too. I never actually met him. But for the most part, actually, a lot of the very high spending customers were very, very nice. But they would show up and, you know, get our top shelf stuff. You know, people who would just come in and drop a few grand on a few bottles. Oh, my God. And I was just like, oh, man. Like, I kind of want that, but I also don't want to be that. But I feel like Tony Stark would be that kind of person who would come in and buy, like, you know, our nicest bottle of champagne or our Opus One, you know, big name Napa Valley Cabernet, because that's a big thing for rich people. Rich sure. people love Napa Cab, which, hey, there's nothing wrong with Napa Cab. Listen, Napa Cabs were on sale at my corner wine store for like 20 oh. bucks. So. Oh, man. They're, well, not, they're probably not like small scale Napa Cabs. But still. Yeah, they, they, were pro- they were probably not not the ones that would be really, really expensive. But I really like like you know, around that price point, Napa Cabs or Washington Cabs, because... Yeah. They are, they are, they are really, really good. But it's to a certain extent, it's a status thing, and so. Sure. Well, I, Tony does love his status things. Like in the very he first does. movie, like in the very first movie, uh, Pepper comes downstairs and he's like, "Hey, Jackson Pollock," and she's like, "You don't even know anything about the artist that you need me to buy this right. thing for, and it's too expensive and they're overpricing it." And he's like, "I need right. you to buy it." Um, yeah. But in the second, <laughs> but in the second movie, you know, he then like is on his way to Pepper's office and forgetting that you know she's allergic to strawberries. 
but like he goes and buys right. strawberries from like a roadside stand. Like yeah, yeah. Tony's the kind well, of guy for whom money is no object, which means that cheap things are about equivalent to well to like expensive things in his mind. He can just have whatever he wants, and that, totally true. That doesn't mean he always goes for the highest end thing. He can just have whatever he wants at any time. Yeah, that's the cool thing about like wine is that like yeah, if you have the expendable money for it you can go for the expensive stuff sure. but like if you're if you have the money to buy that and you like the cheap thing like you can still have the cheap thing and it's still good exactly and that is the secret and that is what i i actually i i first got into wine working at a wine store where everything was was $20 or under and that for me was the perfect place to start learning about wine because i realized there's really good wine that's not that expensive. That's such a cool wine store. Yeah. No, it was a really fun one. It's uh, it's called Best Bottles. It's on the Upper West Side in New York City. So if any of you listening live in New York City or are visiting New York City, go check it out. It's on Broadway between 80th and 81st. My parents still live in New York. I'll have to go check it out. Yeah, please do. No, it's a, it, it was a very cool store. It was a very fun place to start learning about wine. And that way I've come into it from a slightly less pretentious background, I would say, because most people most people who are like into wine, no matter what, are gonna get a little pretentious at some point, and myself included. But coming at it from the perspective of I love finding things that are good value and really, really good, like these wines that we're drinking right now. Then sure. and and to me that's sort of the point. But what I was just gonna say is what I've heard from people who are just you know, like out of this world, wealthy, you know, like they really don't understand money. You know, they really don't understand like the value of things. Yeah. And and so I feel like that's sort of where Tony Stark is. Like, sure. He's, he, you know, he sees no difference between, you know, going to like a, a I don't know where you make suits. I don't have money for that kind of thing. But right. like you go to a tailor <laughs> and you get like a nice fine suit made for $3,000. Right. Or, Ordering his automated factory to make himself a bulletproof suit of armor. Right. Like, he can just do both of those things with a phone call. Yeah. And that's just not not an obstacle to him. Yeah. And I mean, to his credit, he does, you know, fight for clean energy and putting mm-hmm. arc reactors in things. And, you know, like, he basically underwrites the entire Avengers initiative because S.H.I.E.L.D. collapses and he thinks that they're a vital service to the world. Right. But if I may for a moment... Turn yes. it to the darker side, much like, yes, there Please are do. accessible ways to, to drink wine. And yes, that there are many ways that wine can be friendly for all. There's also the darker side. Tony himself has a little bit of a darker side. And that is the fact Absolutely. that for like 30 bunch of years, <laughs> he was a war profiteer. And then he said, sorry, one day. And then everything was fine, I guess. Yeah. That's not so great. Like not, he, not so great. He did say sorry, but also part of the arc is like in Avengers 2, he tries to make an automated, you know, evacuation team and it ends up turning into the worst robot ever. Right. And like how every time he tries to, to do a little bit of what he thinks is a little bit of good from his vantage point, from his perspective, it ends up like not being great because he's looking at it from a position of privilege and he doesn't think it through. Exactly. Which comes back to <laughs> which comes back to his sort of. repetitive arc of trying to do good or trying to fix his mistakes 
Right. Or his his trying to do good comes from, again, a narcissistic perspective, and then he has to end up cleaning up after him, himself. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's basically all of Avengers 2. Yeah, that is pretty much all of Avengers 2, and also... Well, and 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 Iron Man. I think the first Iron Man. That's, I mean, yeah. that's pa- the parts of Iron Man too. Also, parts of Iron Man too. Which also, I wanted to talk about. I feel like I'm really. I was really disappointed in Iron Man too because I really wanted it to be like really good, and yeah. it's it's close. But I feel like it's trying to do just a little bit too much, and I mean, Sam Rockwell and Mickey Rourke. I think are both terrific in it but yeah there was a lot of um i don't know just like like there were a lot of good ideas in it the the action sequences were all pretty cool mm-hmm. um technically they've retconned that iron man 2 is the first appearance of peter parker in the mcu really um, yeah Where, so when, when at that? the big fight at the end in the stark expo there's yeah. a little kid wearing an iron man mask and who who like like a a a suit of armor lands in front of him and he kind of holds up like a fake repulsor uh-huh and he's like, i'm gonna hit you and then yeah. Tony Stark appears and like really hits him. Yeah. Kevin Feige and Tom Holland have both in indip- or I, I it was probably together, but like they both said that that little kid was Peter Parker. That was Peter Parker. Huh. And like and like they, not that they thought of it at the time, but like yeah, that's a little kid from New York who's yeah. about the right age and like yeah, it, if you wanted to be Peter Parker, sure, it's Peter Parker, that's rad. That makes a lot of sense actually. And I kind of love that. But it's a good it's like of the of, you know, they're not trying to hide the fact that it's a retcon. But I think of the retcons you could do in the MCU, that's that's a good one. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that choice. Yeah, I agree that Iron Man 2 kind of like its reach exceeded its grasp or it fell into some kind of sophomore slump or yeah. something. Some other platitude that explains why it's not as good as the th- movies around it. Or, yeah, or it was it was right before, you know, had First Avenger come out yet. No, so Iron Man 2 was only the third movie, so they'd had Iron Man 1 and The Incredible Hulk, which right, kind of flopped, flopped, and they've kind yep. of ignored since then. Yep. Yeah, I know. It's funny how everyone just kind of ignores that. They were like, <laughs> Remember no, 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 when Mark, Edward Norton Mark Ruffalo played... is the Hulk yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, Which, you know, fair. You know, I haven't seen that Incredible Hulk in a really long time, and I, I do want to rewatch it at some point, because, I mean, I remember thinking it was flawed, but... I, I don't know. I'd just be curious to watch it again. I think it's hard to make a solo Hulk film work. Like, yeah. Really that, the, where, where, like, the thing you're there in the seat most to see, which is the fights between the Hulk and everyone else, is the thing that the protagonist least wants to happen in the world. Right. Right. It creates a fundamental, like, disconnect from your protagonist and audience insert. So. Yeah. I, I like what they've done since then. I like that they kept uh, uh, William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross. I hope Red Hulk yes. comes out in like Captain America Four or whatever. That would be awesome. That would be great. But <laughs> it's not happen. But I but, don't think it's yeah, going to happen. It, uh, the last time I watched The Incredible Hulk was in 2012, right before the first Avengers came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, as just like a, I was in college, so like it's a weird project for myself while I was bored. Right. I edited together a chronological cut of all five previous MCU movies leading up to the Avengers. So, like, all of the scenes were spliced so that everything happens in chronological order. This is amazing, Misha. 
<laughs> I know you don't have anything else going on, so I think that you should probably do that now. Now that we're like twenty more now that movies, we have twenty movies, <laughs> yeah. and also like seven TV shows. Yes, yes, you have to include the TV shows as well. Um, <laughs> no, that's really fun. I would love to see that if you. It's have... cool. It's I do still have it. It's like nine hours long. It's like a good way to like if you want to clean your apartment yeah. and just throw something on the in the background, just throw it totally. on from start to finish. It's totally. It's really yeah, no, that that's perfect. If you have it, send it to me. All right. Along with uh, the list of video games to play. Uh, right, yes. Oh, I'm going to send you so many things. Oh, my Emma. God. So I can't wait. Things. I'm so excited. You know what else I'm excited about? Telling you about this week's sponsor, ZipRecruiter. So let's say that Misha is right, and Tony survives Endgame but wants to give up being Iron Man, and he needs to start looking for someone like Riri Williams. Well, instead of placing an ad on Craigslist, billionaire genius playboy philanthropist seeking protege, he could instead look for someone using ZipRecruiter. Want to hire top talent for your company? Try ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, if you go to ZipRecruiter.com pairing, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com P-A-I-R-I-N-G. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I am sure that that will be a weight off of Tony's shoulders tonight as Endgame is released, and hopefully off of yours as well. And now, back to the show. Okay. Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Back to Tony Stark. Oh, one thing I did want to talk about, I wanted to talk about Pepper Potts a little bit. And Oh, yeah. Because she is, I think, an awesome character. I think Gwyneth Paltrow does a great job in the MCU. I have mixed feelings about Gwyneth Paltrow as a human being. Yeah, but... as, as problematic as Gwyneth Paltrow outside of the script is. Yeah. She's one of those people who I'm like, I'm always like, oh, I wish I didn't like you as much as I do as an actor because you're you're crazy. But honestly, um... uh, uh, perfectly honestly, uh, uh, the way she's written in the MCU is better than it could have been. Yes. I think that, that putting her in the CEO position, like, in two was a really mm-hmm. good choice. I wish they hadn't, mm-hmm. like, waffled back and forth about it. Yeah. In in future movies, like whether or not she's still the CEO right, or like in right. Ava- and in and in Avengers, they just she's in the one scene and she's wearing denim booty shorts for like no reason. Well that like no reason. So that is part of my my big problem with Iron Man three is that for the last like hour of the movie, she's being tortured in a sports bra. And yeah. it's like Come on, Shane Black. It very much feels like... I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, by the way, but <laughs> it also is very problematic in its treatment yeah. of women. And so that really bothered me in a way that I couldn't quite shake. And Iron Man 3 is another one that I feel like is very, very close to being a really good movie. And it makes a few mistakes along the way. And yeah. 
and actually, I wanted to ask you about this. I don't know. I don't know um, if you know the answer to this, but so I know there was somewhat of a controversy with Ben Kingsley's character being cast as the Mandarin. Yeah. Well, first off, the casting, yes, and then they were like, no, 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 it's okay. The movie makes it make sense, and then. The justification in the movie, like, it doesn't make it better? No, it doesn't make it better. There's no reason why you couldn't have cast a Chinese person in in that role, even if it is a fake, you know? (laughs) I understand the the reasoning behind not casting an Asian person as the Mandarin. Right. Because the fact that his name is the Mandarin and his, like, his comic book backstory is a product of its time and a little bit racist today. Yes. And you don't want to, like, apply that. Right. But also... Like, you're reforming characters left and right. You're changing backstories. You're doing whatever. Just give it to an Asian actor. Like, they deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, I know they wanted to to incorporate that comic book character, but make it a different character since it doesn't really matter, you know? In- or, or, what a weird concept, actually use the character you're pulling from the comics instead of pulling a weird bait and switch right. that doesn't go anywhere. Right. Yes. No, exactly. So that that is obviously the main problem with Iron Man 3. Yeah. Um, My second biggest problem with it is its its treatment of women, and it just feels much more bro-y to me than the other It is a pretty MC bro-y movie. Movies. But that, that all being said, like, there's a lot about it that I do like, and do enjoy and think it, you know, had so much potential, but then just, just fell short. Yeah. And, but, you know, it happens. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, the the Iron Man franchise is, is, for all intents and purposes, done unless they decide to reboot with Ironheart, which I wholeheartedly re- recommend they do. Oh, absolutely. Ironheart would be such a good movie. Would you, would you explain what Ironheart is oh, for uh, our I... listeners who might not know? I wish I knew more about it. Ironheart is basically a young woman named Riri Williams makes her own Iron Man suit to, like, flex on Tony Stark. Yeah. I think, I believe she's an MIT student, and she kind of, like, reverse engineers her own Iron Man suit and then becomes the superhero Ironheart, who is basically, like, a a black female Iron Man. That is as much as I know. Um, And I think... The more, you know, slowly but surely we're getting more diversity in the MCU, which is exciting. Like with Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok and the whole cast of Homecoming, which is by far. Yeah, Homecoming is doing a really good job. I mean, Black Panther. Oh, Um, duh. Duh. uh, Yeah. (laughs) But but also the fact that like Spider-Man Homecoming, Aaron Davis is in it. And that makes me hopeful that maybe by the third movie we'll get... Miles Morales Spider-Man. Oh, that would be so exciting. Ah. Miles Morales. Uh, I just watched uh, Into the Spider-Verse again last night. Oh my god, theaters. it's so good. I I need it's to so I need to see it again. We've we I, we only watched it once in theaters, yeah. but But tying this back to Tony Stark for just yes. a second. Oh yes, yes, Tony um, Stark. Well, this is the great thing about Iron Man though is that he really is the thread throughout the MCU and so it's really easy to to break off into other conversations about it. So I just right. I enjoy that that's what we're doing. Sure. So now that, like, the main Iron Man f- sequence has ended, right. um, he's, like, a really good spice to sort of sprinkle on yeah. an MCU movie to remind you, like, hey, this is in the MCU. And now Spider-Man go to prom or whatever. And, you know, like, right. or, you know, whatever happens at the end of Endgame, you know, following my wild theory that I said before where, like, he retires because Steve is dead. You know, right. if Riri Williams comes in is like, hey, I made my own. 
he'd be like, uh, you know, the Tony Stark in the MCU would probably be like, well, I need to check all of your math and all of your science and like I'll, you know, outfit yeah. you with one of my spare AIs Ooh, or whatever. That would be so cool. That um, would be so fun if that was how they transitioned into Ironheart if they wanted yeah. to do that. I think they should. It would be but. very cool. I think that, you know, his appearance in Spider-Man and his appearance in Civil War that like yeah. just having him be there has such an impact on a movie. Like it's a Captain America movie, but half the movie is about Iron Man. Well, I actually I just rewatched Civil War last night. I've seen it a whole bunch, but I rewatched it last night and I was like, this is kind of more an Iron Man movie than it is a Captain America movie. Yeah. I mean the the central conflict is around the fact that Steve knew Bucky killed Tony's parents and didn't yeah. tell him. Yeah. And Steve doesn't really have to face any huge like obstacle or arc. He just no, he, he all he all of his obstacles are external. There's never really yes. a conflict of like, what should I do? It's always like, fuck the government, Bucky's my best friend, mm-hmm. fuck all the haters. Yep. Which, as we all know, the real romance in the MCU is Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, but that on its own is not a conflict. It's just his driving character motivation is always to protect Bucky. And yeah. well, I would I would like to insert here that real quick that my yeah. MCU OTP is Okoye and Valkyrie. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. They oh would, my god, they I want would, that to happen like, so bad. <laughs> you know, Valkyrie is like like the one who fell off the wagon and she's like a loose yeah. cannon cop on the edge who doesn't play by the rules. And Okoye is like, you know, I will protect the throne no matter who sits upon it. And the two of them oh have fundamental arguments about where their loyalties lie, but when it comes to it, they are awesome and their personalities really drive with each other. I think they would really get along. They're my OTP. I love that so much. I really hope that Valkyrie shows up in Endgame. I don't know if she will I, or not. but I don't know if she will or not either, but we are getting like a semi-Thor Valkyrie team-up movie in Men in Black International. So. That is true. That is true. Yep. <laughs> you can't get enough Thor Ragnarok? Just watch Men in Black International. Yeah, we um, got Men in Black in here now. What were yeah, they doing? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Um, that's so funny. And I mean, I was saying this to Winston last night because we because we've been rewatching, you know, we rewatched Age of Ultron and the uh, the Black Widow. Well, everything about what they do to Black Widow makes my heart hurt. One of the most mismanaged characters in the entire MCU. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes me so, so sad. Joss Whedon done her dirty. I know. Joss, Joss, I had better. I had higher hopes for you. But that was right around the time that Joss Whedon's Fall from Grace happened too. That, oh, that's right. That is right. That's when his whole, at least his his cheating scandal came out. Well, his cheating scandal and the revelation that like one of the feminist icons of the '90s turned out to be one of the worst men in the industries in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yes, I have. Okay. Well, I have many feelings about Joss Whedon. I'm gonna save <laughs> that's for those. like a whole other episode. That, yeah, that's preparing. a whole another episode. I'm very conflicted, but but I do really really hate what he did to Black Widow, and but also just the the Black Widow Bruce Banner romance what? never never makes sense to me. No, and, and and does absolutely nothing for me. I mean, to, what I was really hoping would happen was because they had seeded it into like Winter Soldier. Is mm-hmm. the Black Widow Winter Soldier romance? Yeah. Oh my God. Like that the one been... from the comics that they do in it. That would have been so much better and so much more interesting. Ugh. Whatever. But whatever. It doesn't matter. We're, I'm. I'm gonna wait for that Valkyrie Okoye. <laughs> yes. That is perfect. 
<laughs> that is, um, <laughs> but but even I mean, that's how powerful Tony Stark in the MCU is, right? That like right. you can spend all of Iron Man two basically setting up Nick Fury and Black Widow, right? Like there's yeah. less, there's honestly like less Iron Man arc than there is like. Tony interacting with S.H.I.E.L.D. and setting up the Avengers arc. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's kind of the point, that, that that's kind of the role of Iron Man 2, is is setting up the relationship with S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, it is kind of more of a S.H.I.E.L.D. movie than an Iron Man movie. Yeah. Except for except for the, the whatever, the Monaco Grand Prix fight. Right, right. And, and, you know, I do really like, I think Mickey Rourke does a great job in that role, in that performance. That, but you, you might find that to be a controversial opinion. Hey, Twitter people, don't at Emma about yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> Do they, do they, uh, does Twitter hate Mickey Rourke? Don't tell me I about it. I think the general consensus is that Mickey Rourke was very bad, but like, I, I don't get it. He was I fine. Didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't hate okay. him. I didn't hate him. I thought, I thought it was, a. I remember going into the movie and being like, ugh, Mickey Rourke, what's he going to do in this? And I think it was the best possible way they could have done the Crimson Dynamo. Yeah. And it, well, and it also just like, I, I also just didn't really care as much about that storyline. I was much more interested. I mean, Sam Rockwell is untouchable. So <laughs> that's true. I will, I'll watch Sam Rockwell in anything, including three billboards where his character was very problematic. Yes. Yes. And I will probably, I haven't seen Vice yet, but I want to see it almost solely to see Sam Rockwell play George W. Bush. Oh my God. What a good casting choice. What a perfect casting choice. Oh my goodness. But anyway, yes, love Sam Rockwell. And he he kind of stole the show in a way, but also like wasn't really that important. I don't know. So it it was a weird movie. I think that now this is with 2020 hindsight and I don't sure. like Iron Man 2 had to do so much work carrying from Iron Man to the Avengers, which had never been done before. Right. And so I respect it as like, you know, a pretty good attempt at doing what everyone needed it to do. Yeah. But I think... With 2020 hindsight, the better way to do Iron Man 2 is honestly to, like, seed in some of the Civil War stuff. Yeah. Where, like, like make it kind of more of an a Tony versus Rhodey arc. Where, yeah. Like, where maybe Justin Hammer comes in and is like, hey, I heard you're fighting with Tony. Let me help you make the war machine out suit. And then, like, Justin Hammer kind of subverts it. But they ended up making right. Justin Hammer like a really farcical character yeah, and also trying to cram in Crimson Dynamo slash Whiplash because they were afraid they wouldn't get the chance, I guess. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, but I, I agree. And especially watching Civil War after watching all these movies, it does feel not necessarily unearned, but a little bit abrupt. The conflict between, between Tony Stark and Captain America and, or, you know, those two sides. Sure. I think that um, in the comics, it was justified very differently. Yes. That's um, what I've heard. And I haven't, that, I haven't read the comics. So sure. I think that Tony's motivation that like, he feels really guilty over, you know, how much damage he causes and sure he can fund damage control and sure he can like mop up after himself. But really like after Sokovia, after destroying an entire nation's, you know, a city state, he, feels a lot of guilt and he feels a yeah. lot of guilt about the Avengers. He he sent a nuclear bomb at a giant space station that probably had at least a couple innocent civilians on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he fe- he does feel a lot of guilt and I I do see especially why between Iron Man 2 where he flipped off the Senate subcommittee and Civil War in between which like Avengers 1, Avengers 2, mm-hmm. uh like all of the other movies. Um right. why he, why he would 
vote for registration. Right. I think that I think that that layer is better than in the comics where it doesn't really make as much sense. And then that's to the detriment of Captain America's motivation. I agree. Yeah. Which, again, goes back to the fact that Civil War, it feels like Tony Stark's movie, not Captain America's movie. It would have been a really good Iron Man 4 if the Winter Soldier was the enemy, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. We're like, like Iron Man 4 and Tony Stark finds out that, like, or, like, the bombing happens and he's like, oh, shit, the Winter Soldier, that's uh, uh, Cap's friend and Cap doesn't seem to be doing anything about it and I'll go investigate. And then he finds out on his own that, like, he's responsible for the murder and then he has to fight Captain America as the final fight. Right. But by the end, like that's a point where like I'm not sure who to trust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and I and I like that. And I and I do think that the the moral ambiguity is I, I like how complex it is and I like that it is it is built up that way. I just think centering the narrative on Captain America in Civil War makes you pretty aware that like Bucky wasn't in control of his actions and that yeah. Tony's kind of overreact like if it was from Tony's perspective you wouldn't know it's an overreaction. Right. Yeah, it would be it would be more interesting if you didn't know. Yeah. And yeah, no, you're totally right. You're totally right. And that would have been a much more compelling. Again, as I think I talked about with Lauren on the Captain America episode, Civil War had a lot to do because it pretty much had to set up Infinity War you ha- and had to introduce um, Peter Parker in his new iteration and uh, Black Panther, which... Right. And also kind of get you used to the idea that Ant-Man can be in serious movies. Right, right. Yeah, that, that like Ant-Man is actually part of this universe. Yeah, because <laughs> otherwise you'd just be like, that weirdo. Yeah, and and every time Paul Rudd comes on screen, I just laugh, like, inherently. But I'm so, I'm so glad Paul Rudd is Ant-Man because oh, the so way good. the mask is designed, it could have been anybody. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really like, true. You, you can't see his face. Yeah. Like, it, it honestly could be anyone in there. And I'm pretty sure that, like, most of the scenes where he has the mask down, it's not Paul Rudd there because they don't have to pay Probably him for not. He's not Probably not. Or whatever. Yep. But, yeah. So so Captain America did a lot. It was essentially Avengers 2.5. It was. It really was. And But, again, because it's basically an Avengers movie, was more focused on Tony. And, well, I guess we get... I mean, we get a lot of Cap in, in other Avengers movies, too. I think... I mean... If you want to look at it like that, I think that Avengers 1 relies heavily on Tony to to glue it together, but it's essentially a Captain America movie. Yes, actually, I think that's a good way to think about it, yeah. I think Avengers 2 is, like, as much as it's anybody, it's kind of a Hawkeye movie? Kind of, yeah. Actually, I like that perspective. I also, I I want more Hawkeye. I don't think we're going to get a whole lot more Hawkeye, but I think he'll show up in Endgame. Yeah, he's in Endgame. He's uh, I mean, spoilers for Endgame because it hasn't yeah. come out yet. But like, I'm pretty sure he's he's a diff- he's is one of his other like personas. He's Ronin. In okay. Endgame, okay. Cool. Which is a whole comics thing. I I will say like now that we're you know whatever a bunch of minutes into the podcast. Yes. That, yes. Uh, I haven't. I'm not actually a huge comic book fan. Um. I've oh, haven't how about read that? a ton of comic books. <laughs> I did just get myself a Marvel Unlimited account, so I am excited to dive in. But mostly I'm interested in, like, Miles Morales and yeah. Williams and Kamala Khan. Sort of like the Gen 2 heroes. Yeah. And talking with Julia Shafini in the Thor episode, she got me really excited about... Because I also... I mean, I've I've definitely dabbled in comic books, but I actually haven't read most of the Marvel comic books, which is unusual. But... Oh. Yeah, I know. It's weird. But I... I'm excited to start reading 
I might do the same thing because I'm started excited to start reading some of the new ones because like Julia told me about in Thor that at one point Jane becomes like Lady Thor. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's still ongoing, but that that was a big thing for a while, Lady Thor. Yeah. And also I I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure Natalie Portman is done with the MCU, so yep. sadly we're not going to see that unless Natalie they... Portman makes really healthy decisions yeah. in her career. <laughs> I know. Well, it's funny because you know, around this time, you know, 10 years ago or when or yeah, around 10 years ago when Iron Man came out and then a couple of years later Thor came out. I felt like Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson were le- leading very similar careers. You know, they had very yeah. they 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 had kind of equal popularity and like place in our in our collective consciousness. And now Natalie Portman has done Annihilation and Scarlett Johansson did Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Scarlett <laughs> Johansson has made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> no, she's just trying to make a buck, I guess. She is. At she, the expense of, you know, people of color and trans people. But it's what, fine. What I will say for Scarlett Johansson is I admire her to the extent that Hollywood tends to do this thing with actresses, with, with women, that, like, you're allowed to be popular for, like, two to five years, and then you're done. Yeah. And. Yeah. What I will say for Scarlett Johansson is that she has consistently remained successful. Now, do I agree with the choices she did, as you said, at the expense of trans and people of color? Absolutely not. And I am very upset by that, but I guess good for her for beating the system? I don't know. Yeah, she certainly has <laughs> remained relevant longer than probably you expected out of a starlet of her stature. Yes. I mean, I mean, well, here's the thing. That's the thing. It's the same with Natalie Portman, but she manages not to, you know, do that. She's just, she's just less in the spotlight. And I feel like at this point she does a movie every year, every couple years or something. And, you know, some of them are good. Some of them are not great. But she's she's much less in the, in the spotlight, I would say. Fair. Yeah. She also won an Oscar, so she can she's got, I don't know, a little more leverage there. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I will say we got a little off track. We stuff. did. Oh my god. So Iron Man. <laughs> no, so 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 the fact that I haven't read a bunch of comics I hope doesn't like lessen my credentials. At this point, like nah. superhero stories are also movies about as much as they are comic books. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like like don't at me about not reading comics or whatever, but one of the comics I have read previously to now is uh Iron Man Extremis. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, a short arc by Warren Ellis, which is a comic book writer that I uh, have been following for a really long time. My one of my good friends and collaborators Julian Mundy introduced me to him when we were in like high school and I've been following him ever since. So so Warren it, it, and um Extremis became the basis of like how Iron Man 1 felt, mm-hmm. and they use the term extremist in Iron Man 3, but it doesn't refer to the same scientific concept that it does in the comics. It's, like, different. Uh-huh. But extremist is sort of this phoenix moment for Tony where he goes through this profound transformation from huh. a guy in a suit to, like, true cyborg superhero with powers. Huh. So wow. in, in the comics, extremist is... Actually, what's funny is they used it in Infinity War. Huh. I just realized. So so you know the little nanite plate that he has in, in Infinity War, which is how he has a oh, suit? Oh, yeah. And just sort of... Totally. Totally. So, so Extremis is that, 
but it's stored in the hollows of his bones. Huh. So it's always inside his bones, and he oh, can just call cool. the Iron Man suit to him whenever he wants. Oh, that's cool. Extremis is like kind of, uh, uh, you know, it, it goes through AIM, and I'm pretty sure uh, uh, the character, I'm forgetting her name from Iron Man 3, you know, the female character, the one who's kind yeah. of evil and then dies very briefly. Oh, my God. What's her name? Um, Rebecca you know, the Hall woman is who the got actor. Mistreated yeah. by. <laughs> Yeah. Huh. How strange. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure her character is in... It's been a while since I read it. But it it sort of becomes this transformation where Tony goes from human to superhuman. So it is interesting that that comic became the basis not for any one particular movie, but kind of for how the movies feel around Tony. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, I definitely want to read that comic, if nothing yeah. else. Uh, yeah, Iron Man Extremis. Uh, the writer's Warren Ellis. I believe the artist is Adi Granov. Oh, I hope okay. I didn't get that wrong. It's um, it's one of the best Iron Mans uh, about Tony Stark that exists. That is awesome, and I definitely will check that out. I'm really excited to dive into like more than just that one, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, let me know. Let me know how it goes because I also want to dive in. But I think what's what's so great about the MCU, however flawed it may be, is that it has gotten a lot of people who might not have been into comic books ne- necessarily a little bit more into them and thinking hopefully critically about them and critically about the films as well uh, and has just sort of made this a slightly more mainstream accessible medium just like this podcast and one. <gasps> oh my god Boom, it's got it all comes together <laughs> nailed it <laughs> um so speaking of wine i just had one last quick wine thought to bring in here talking about pepper pots and you could argue as we were saying, pretty much most of the female characters in the MCU, I feel like they often get glossed over and forgotten or, hey, you know, took, done I mean, dirty. they're getting better. Took them 10 years, but they're getting a little yeah, better. Yeah, they're getting better. Thank you, Black Panther. Yeah, for and real. And for real. For real. Nakia and Shuri and Okoye and just every wonderful female character in that movie. There's a reason that's the one that got nominated for Best Picture. Yes. And I have said this before, and this might be controversial, but to me, T'Challa is the least interesting part of Black Panther. Yeah. Not to say that, like, Chadwick Boseman doesn't do a great job and that T'Challa is not an interesting character. It's just between Nakia, Okoye, Shuri, and Killmonger. And M'Baku. Yeah, and M'Baku. Oh, he steals man. the show in every scene he's in. Winston Duke. Yeah. <laughs> so great. I had some friends, I think, who went to Yale School of Drama with him. Oh, awesome. And Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out, who's oh, also sure. in Black Panther. And Yeah, no, I, I said the same thing when Black Panther came out, that like as interesting as T'Challa is, he's also the least interesting character in a cast of wildly interesting characters. Exactly. And I think that that is one of the reasons why Black Panther was such a phenomenal film, in a way, separate and above most of the other films in the MCU. Yeah. But that being said, it still feels very much part of the world, which I think is a really, really great 
accomplishment. The only way I'll really care about the Oscars this year is <laughs> if Black Panther wins. Um, and it's, I don't know. I hope that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse definitely oh, beats yeah. whatever Pixar did this year. Like, I'm pretty sure it's going to win. I My money's better. on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It, it was better. such a smash success and everybody loved it. But you never know. The Oscars yeah. are... That's another episode. But I will say, I will say <laughs> this, and, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit in relation sure. to why. Sure. Um, is that with the introduction of Guardians and Thor Ragnarok yeah. and yeah. Black Panther, like, you know, you talked about bringing it into a cohesive world. I think the MCU has done a really great job of tricking you into thinking like anything could be part of this world now. It was a very gradual approach. Yeah. I think that, like, they took their time getting you to this place. But as of Infinity War, like, anything, you could do any anime bullshit you want on the screen. And, like, yeah, that's MCU. No problem. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That Especially is very fair. Especially when the first Iron Man established such like a grounded universe where like, yes, his suit comes from his technology, which comes from his company, which has this really long backstory and is justified in every single way. And then like you get to Infinity War and like, I mean, Julian and I talk about the fight between Doctor Strange and Thanos all the time because it is yeah. just some anime bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just so anime. That, yeah. And that exists in the same world as Iron Man. So I think the MCU has like just did a really good job of tricking you into believing what it did. It's really true. And, and I think it did come from very gradually introducing new elements. And again, often Tony Stark, or even if he's not in the movie, they often talk about Stark Industries. Or, right. and, that, and that is often the through line through the MCU. Right. So I, wa- so I want to ask you... In terms yeah. of wine, what yeah. what is Ooh. wine doing to onboard people who were non-believers? Ooh, that's a very good question. So I think that, well, I think that I think that a lot of actually what the wine industry is doing is kind of what I'm trying to do with this podcast. You know, non sequitur. Hey. Look look at you a leader in look the industry. Look at me. Look at me. But well, not not even, but I think that I think that you know to a small extent like wineries are trying to do tastings in art galleries or you know you go to the theater and you can drink wine now. And I think that part of what is getting people more into wine is thinking about it not just as like this snooty thing for rich people, but as a thing that can be accessible and can be part of an experience. And the fact... Oh, can I be really critical of that on a podcast real quick? Yeah, 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 yeah. Art galleries in the theater are not ways to make wine accessible. Hey, Art galleries are really inaccessible and theater is becoming... I mean, I I was trained in theater. My Technically, all of my training is in theater since I was 13 years old. Yeah, me too, me too. Like my, my podcast stuff is like because I couldn't make money doing theater. Hey, I, I I got cast in Wolf 359 because Gabrielle saw me in productions at Wesleyan. So nice. I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. But no, you you make a good point and thank you for calling me out on that because I I I do come from this very elitist background of, you know, I grew up in a family of artists. And mm. so to me that is how you make things accessible. But I think you're right. And so that brings me to my next thought, which is that I don't think wine is doing I don't think the wine industry is doing a great job of making wine more accessible, Hmm. Um, at least not in this country, because, you know, if you go to Europe, wine is such 
it's it's such a more inherent part of the culture. Right. Regardless of what your socioeconomic, cultural, et cetera, background is. And part of that is just because it's cheaper. Yeah. And I hate to, you know, I mean, we're talking about Tony Stark, but let's bring it back to wealth. The problem with wine in this country is that it's inordinately expensive. Yeah. And that immediately alienates a whole lot of people. And part of what I'm excited to talk about, hopefully, with Black Panther is I'm kind of trying to think about it, is that there's really not a lot of diversity in the wine world. Mm. And I am always seeking and looking for people of color, non-binary people, even, I mean, there's, I think there's plenty of queer people working in the wine industry. It's just okay. not, not really made a thing. And it's still a culture of rich, straight white people. And I think that there's a lot to be done to change that. Hmm. There we go. I think, I, I mean, I thank you for talking about that. I, I Yeah, think no, that, absolutely. I think that that may be wine's great challenge moving forward. And I mean, that was the MCU's great challenge when they started their franchise with like a rich, 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 cis het white dude yeah. as their franchise starter. But like, I'm glad that they're changing. I mean, it took them long enough, but I'm glad they're right. finally changing it up. And I think that that is happening microscopically in the wine world. And it's started with women and paying attention more to misogyny in the wine industry. And more and more women are getting higher up jobs in the wine industry, which is great. And that's kind of where it's starting with wine. But there's a lot to be done. There's a lot to be done. Well, I I think for my part that like pairing is doing a really good job by making a free consumable piece of media that well thank you like the fact that you put this up for free on the internet yes it still you know discludes people who you know don't have internet access and don't have computer access but sure sure being being a free podcast does a lot to help bridge that gap so good yeah And I and, you know, like at some point I'd love to do like wine classes or whatever. I mean, I'm not the most educated person in the wine industry, but I think the more that you can offer for free, the better. And actually, what I will say is that I guess the one thing that the wine industry does do, or at least in wine stores that we do, is we offer free tastings. That's great. I think that's a great way to begin to get people interested in wine. And that was my favorite thing. I mean, I may work in the in wine stores again, but working in wine stores for about five years, doing tastings was my favorite thing because you get to talk to people and give people free wine and they can sort of explore it. And the most fun thing to me was seeing people get really into it. So yeah. there we go. That's good. Yeah. Thank you so much for that question. That That really is a great thing to think about. And I forget it sometimes. So thank you. Sure, of course. I, you know, I worry about that with the MCU as well, is like how accessible the movies made these stories. Yeah. You know, because before comics blew up in movies, comic books were a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, I mean, not that they were more accessible. You still had to go to specialty shops where they had limited runs and everything was right. collector's items. Right. But, you know, so I, I do hope that 
making them not collector's items, the, the movies helped people who wouldn't otherwise consume superhero stories experience them. And then, of course, over time, you know, as we get more and more diverse in the MCU, hopefully that trend continues. People seeing themselves in the movies, which is equally important, if not more important. I I hope so, too. And I and I think so. I hope so. Between, you know, like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and Black Panther. I know that I know that uh, Black Panther, we're recording this in uh, late January 2019. And I know that yes. uh, Black Panther is coming back to theaters for a week uh, around yes. the country doing like free screenings for people who weren't able to see it beforehand because it got nominated for Best Picture. Yes. And that is amazing. And I hope that we can see more of that coming from the MCU, hopefully. Yeah, and I hope that, you know, it's not just on Ryan Coogler and the, the staff of Black Panther yeah, to, to yeah. do those, to be that outreach, to do those things that, like, the whole of the MCU can also do that. Well, just like Tony Stark, hopefully the uh, very successful Marvel Universe franchise is going to begin to start using its success towards good like that. We can only hope so. We can only hope so. Well, I feel like that's a great note to end on. And Misha, thank you so much. Uh, this was a really wonderful, thought-provoking conversation. My pleasure. You know, at the risk of being here for for a lot longer, what would you like to plug? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, so, let's see. I know you've got some new stuff coming up, so... Yes, uh... At the time of recording, we uh, the Whisper Forge, my podcast collective, which uh, focuses on immersive stories and underrepresented voices, just released our fourth show, which is called Caravan. It's a, a weird West, like a Western fantasy tale uh, with really, really horny demons. <laughs> um, I haven't listened to it yet, but I am so excited. <laughs> the first two episodes are up right now. I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, we'll have more. I also work for The Bright Sessions, which uh, is, we're working on our first uh, of two spinoff series, the first of which comes out uh, before April. So excited. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not sure of the exact release date, but definitely before April. And then um, I also uh, work on a little show you may have heard of called LeVar Burton Reads, where LeVar Burton from Star Trek and Reading Rainbow reads uh, adult speculative fiction, and I do all the sound design for their third season. That is maybe my favorite thing that you do. and <laughs> <laughs> It is super rad. And then um, uh, The Whisper Forge is doing more stuff. The Bright Sessions is doing more stuff. I'm doing more stuff with Stitcher. So stay tuned to me on Twitter at Misha, etc. At M-I-S-C-H-A-E-T-C. Awesome. Well, this has been terrific. Misha, you're stupendous. Emma, and... you're stupendous. Oh, stop. Go on. Um, okay. That's it. <laughs> That's something my old uh, co-worker used to say. She used to always go, oh, stop, go on. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much. We, we aren't recording this in person, sadly, but I raise my glass to you. Cheers. Cheers. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Scherzarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Julia Schifini. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, 
or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Check out our new merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.